Hi, welcome to the Parenting Reframe Podcast. I am Elbiona Rakipi, your host. I'm a former teacher, a parent, currently a pediatric speech and language pathologist, and I'm a writer. I've worked with thousands of children and families throughout the last 20 years, and I have learned so much. On this podcast, we'll approach parenting from a curious place. We'll ask questions and get answers, explore new ideas, unpack the unconscious beliefs and expectations we hold on to about parenting, and reframe what it means to parent. We'll search for solutions to some of our biggest parenting challenges, set aside judgments, and find our way through this wild journey. My hope is that this podcast is a space where parents can feel seen, heard, and supported. Welcome aboard, and let's reframe together. Hello, everyone, and I have quite the treat for you today. My friend Elizabeth Lewis is here talking to us. She is the founder of Detroit Mom, and I basically begged her to come on the podcast because I just knew she was such a treat. I love talking with her, and she's got so many good things to say to parents and to moms and such a beautiful story herself. So before I keep going on and on, Elizabeth, welcome. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so excited to be here. I know it's so funny, Alviona says that, but I feel the same way about her as I'm excited to be here because you share just so much good information about parenting. I appreciate that. Thank you. A little bit about me. Okay. So I am a mom of four. I have a 22-year-old, a 10-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. I've been married for about 10 years. I own several businesses. So Detroit Mom is one of them. And then I co-own Lansing with my best friend. And then we just launched Michigan with Kids with that same best friend. And then I also own another business with a best friend called Retreat to Reclaim that helps women rediscover the offline version of themselves um, through retreats. I'm getting ready to launch my own personal brand that's really focused towards human design and helping women feel seen and really make it so much easier to live their lives based on who they were designed to be. So I'm excited about that. I love that. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, Like you have so many things under your belt. I love it so much. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, and I know you and I were talking about this before we started recording is a lot of times I'll talk to friends or I'll talk to people, you know, I'm in my 40s. So I'll talk to people who are my age or mothers who are my age. And there's always this sense of like, we don't give ourselves permission to follow through on creative endeavors or creative pursuits or passions. And so when I look at you and I met you through Detroit Mom, I started off as a contributor and then we got to know each other that way. And you were just so kind to me and you took me under your wing and you were always available for advice and different questions. And I just remember thinking like, how amazing, like your life is so full in that, like you also have a lot of children, you're a very busy mom, but there is this priority, I think with you, where there is such a desire to pursue these things that come up for you and these things that you look at and see, and you know, you can make an impact in a different way. So I guess we can just start there too. Like, where does that come from for you? Like, how did you learn? Or maybe you didn't even have to learn it. Like to give yourself permission to just as those thoughts come through, like taking those next steps and giving yourself that time and space to really devote, you know, your energy toward it and not feel guilty. Yeah. Oh, this is a great question, actually. I haven't always been like this and actually didn't realize it. So I left corporate. I worked for the Detroit Medical Center I left there and I really worked really hard. I have a lot of student loan debt for my corporate job. And when I did it and I loved it, and you know what I loved about healthcare was the idea that you could impact people and you could help patients. And I loved working in the inner city. I was a teen mom. I had a child at 16 and I saw these girls come in and I have this in my human design, save the day mentality. So I want to save and help everybody. And 
I remember, you know, where it really started to come to fruition that I wanted something more and I wanted to kind of live my own life is I think I've always had that desire. I just didn't know what it looked like. But I remember it would sit in my office, the hospital, and I would sit with my staff and I'd be like, gosh, you guys, don't you feel like there's more to life than this, than working nine to five and coming into this hospital every single day? And they're like, no. I'm like, what? (laughs) And then there were times when I thought I was crazy. I was like, how does not everybody else feel this way? How do they not feel this way? And so I remember I worked up to literally, I think two days before I had my son and I had my son and it was, oh my gosh, postpartum for me. I just feel like a hot mess all the time. And oh my goodness. I think most moms do, but so many, right? I remember sitting there, my husband, I was getting ready to near the end of my maternity leave. And he's like, what if you just like left the hospital and you just pursued Detroit mom full-time? Because at the time it really, Detroit mom was kind of like a hobby at that point. Because when I had started, I was working at the hospital and I was seeking community so bad. I was a young mom and I didn't know where to meet other moms. Like, how do women meet each other? Like, literally, how do women meet each other? And he's like, what if you just pursue that? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I worked really hard. I was going to get a promotion. Like, that. Like I worked really, really hard. And you know anything about the hospital? It's all politics. I knew how to work the system. Like, I knew who to be. I worked with doctors. So, like, you have to know how to function in that capacity, in that space. It just worked really hard. And so I remember, actually, I feel like I was more intuitive prior to the death of my parents. So I remember this feeling. I was like, you know what? Yeah, like I don't want to work for somebody else. I don't want to work for somebody else anymore. I don't want someone to tell me when I have to come back from maternity leave, when I have to take vacation. I don't want to do that. And so I remember going and sitting with my boss and she goes, wait, you're quitting? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, you're about to be promoted. And I was like, yep. And then doubt seeps in because you're hearing all this outside stuff. Like, how could you do that? You worked so hard to get here. And then I'm questioning myself. And at the time, like I knew it was going to be rough because my husband had to pick up two other jobs at different hospital systems. And we went without things. Like I would take care of the kids all day and a brand new baby. And then it would work like nine to two in the morning. And I would do all this stuff, but I knew I didn't want to work for somebody else. And I was willing to give up the lifestyle I had before knowing it was going to be so short term. And then insert, so my son, two years later, while my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and my mom unexpectedly passed away from a heart attack and I'd found her. And it's so funny. Like I tell myself every time I tell the story, I'm like, it gets easier and it doesn't like... Yeah, it's still there. It's still so raw. And that is the moment that who I was was no longer. Sure. The person that I was prior to walking into my mom's house was not the same woman that walked out. And I was forever changed. And I still sometimes catch myself getting stuck in that why me, but also realizing there's a reason that that happened to me in my life. And I know it's so hard to see that because I didn't see that for a really long time. Yeah, I'm sure. It was really hard to see. And even in those moments, I lost my intuition, who I was, my inner knowing, like it was gone because the life that I knew was gone. Yeah. Well, and I think a parent's love, like it's so anchoring and for good or for bad and whatever kind of relationship you have, I think for so long, you identify who you are based on being their daughter or their son. And so when that goes away, there is, I think, a renewal process of like, 
who am I in the absence of being their person or their daughter or knowing myself in that way? And so, my gosh, it's pretty traumatizing, A, to go through that and the experience of finding her and then also losing your dad so shortly thereafter. And so it takes time really to process something like that. So my gosh, my heart is so with you. But you talking about it and being vulnerable, I think you allow others who have experienced loss to do the same because it is something you walk through. You can't just fix it. And it comes in waves. It really does. I think for any of us who have lost somebody close, I think you can be totally fine for you know a good number of days in a row. And then the smallest thing can sort of set you off. I know there's that spiritual teacher, Jan LeVan's aunt, she always calls it her broccoli moment. And she lost her daughter to cancer. And she said she was feeling okay. And she went to the grocery store and her daughter loved broccoli soup. And she saw broccoli in the grocery store and completely lost it. And so she said it just comes in waves. So to assume that there's like a starting point and an end point with grief is just erroneous, really. Like it doesn't get processed that way. So thank you for sharing that. And it really impacts the way we parent, right? And the way we can show up. So that's really a lot. It's been four years. And those are things I think about constantly, like you said. And a lot of my friends had never been through it. So you really learn in those moments, like who your friends are, who's going to stick through you. Because honestly, I'd never had anything like that happen. I hadn't lost anyone. I really lived this like really simple life. I felt at the time, you know, I've never experienced death and I had so many moments, so many learning moments. And now looking four years later and a lot of inner work and, a, and ketamine and all of those things, I'm like, there's a reason I just don't know the bigger purpose to this, to experiencing loss the way that I did, to parenting without parents. And, you know, my kids, they just, they're missing out. You know, me having my parents here and grandparents and all these things. And so I think that was really like when I lost my intuition and lost myself and I'm a repressor and I learned that through ketamine and holistic therapy. (laughs) When it happened, essentially my mom passed I went right from my mom passing to dealing with everything that comes with that to taking care of my dad for six months while finding out we're pregnant two weeks after my mom. Then my son was still little. He was two. So I would take him every day, go sit with my dad from, I dropped the Harper off at school. So we'd get there about nine. He was in Ann Arbor because he was through the VA. He was a Vietnam vet. And I would go sit there until I have to go pick up Harper. So I would leave at three. So I'd sit there from nine to three. If you've been around people who have passed away, not passed away, but are dying. They're just like, I'm done. Like, and I remember the day my dad was done. And so I went to that, you know, my dad passing to having a baby, running business, doing all this. And I just suppressed and suppressed and suppressed to take care of everybody else and continuously, continuously. And then I hit my breaking point when my dad's dog got sick because it was like this last living piece of my dad for me and my mom. Like it was like the ending of an era. And I remember in these moments, I was like, I have to find myself again because I lost who I am. And I'd worked with a holistic doctor a month before it had happened. And he was like, Elizabeth, you've created a really beautiful life around so much pain. Hearing that, I was like, it's true. It's so true. And I just continued on with my life like nothing had happened because society tells you that that's what you have to do. Society makes you feel like You have to experience loss. Like think about it in the workplace. We experience loss and then we're expected to return to work three days later. Right, right. Three days later. I know. If I was still working in a hospital, I would have had to find my mom, deal with all the emotions, the feelings, all the things. Then from there, I would be expected to return to week. I think like 
close family like that, you get one week. Wow, I know. One week. Isn't that something? And it's like, who can show up to work and be useful? You know, like you're not there. You're not present. You're not helping that company out. And what a poor way to portray the idea of how we can move through grief. It's like, and you did exactly that, right? You had to keep showing up and keep doing all these other things and taking care of everyone else. And then at one point, it does all come to a head, right? It's not sustainable. It gets you through in the interim, I think, in that initial period of grief, but it certainly isn't going to carry through all the way. There's just so much there still. So my gosh, kudos to you for talking about this too and just sharing because it's so many people's story. Oh, I know. And that's like infertility, right? Miscarriages and things like that. Women that are just supposed to return to work. And I think if I worked for somebody else, I would not have been able to take care of my dad. I will never regret the time with my dad. Even he was so cranky. I will never feel that regret that maybe my sister does because she lives somewhere else and things like that. I'll never feel that because I spent almost every single day with my dad. And I think back to that and even like pursuing the things that I do or, you know, like that sense of just belonging. I think you had said that like losing my parents was like this, a sense of like abandonment and where did I belong? Where did I fit? Like I didn't have parents anymore. And I think that the business that I'm in is why I do what I do because I want women to feel so seen and valued and heard and like they belong somewhere. And I think it's hard for women. And we have all this outside stuff, societal stuff that says we have to be this way for people to like us. We have to do this. We have to do it that way. There's only one way to do it. And we're designed all so differently. Society is set up to be one person and a perfect person at that. Like, I feel like society does not allow you to have human experiences. And when you do, everything comes crashing down on you. And then you feel like you can't make mistakes and you can't show up authentically as who you are, like who you really are. Right. It's a total house of cards, right? Like it's like one small shift, one small break, and the whole thing comes collapsing down. And I think all women feel the weight of that at times in so many things that we do that it all sort of is on our shoulders. And it's such a heavy way to go through your day through parenting, through mothering, through being a partner, like it just this self-imposed a lot of times pressure because we just get that sort of those societal rules and we seed those, we allow those to take shape and we allow those to get planted and then we really abide by them. So the work you do and the things that you guys talk about on Detroit Mom is phenomenal because it is exactly what you're saying. You did create a space where mothers can feel seen You guys share stories that are intimate and personal from death and grieving all the way to infertility, to challenges in motherhood, to postpartum depression, to, I mean, and everything in between. So I think you have spotlighted something that's important that for years people were just taught to sort of keep behind closed doors. And I think community around that is such a beautiful thing. And I think you should give yourself moments at least once a day to really just remind yourself that you did that. You did that all from having a thought and a need, really. Like, I need this community. I'm sure others need it if I need it. So how can I create it? And so it's just a special thing. And I think sometimes, I know I was telling you before we started recording, I had Stephanie Steinberg on. We talked about the Detroit Writing Room. And when we finished, she said the same thing, that I never go back and think about how it all started and that journey of like, having the idea and what it took to move it forward. And it's so important that we do that for ourselves, for anything. It doesn't have to be even a business. It can be anything that you have had a thought about doing and it came through because of your work or your efforts or your belief in yourself. Like 
those are things we have to hold on to. Those are the wins we have to really celebrate in each other and with each other. Yeah. And that's interesting because most people, especially women, men, men are just a different breed, right? They'll apply for a job and only be like maybe 30, 60% qualified. Women were like, I have to be 100% qualified. I have to 100% know how to run a business. I have to 100% know how to do all this stuff when it's not true. Like it's not true. And so many women sit on these amazing and beautiful and all these different ideas all because they think it has to be perfect in order to do it. Like it has to be perfect. If I could express how many business mistakes I have made in the past seven years with every single business I have owned and how much I've learned and grown as a person because of those mistakes, not all learning lessons come from the beautiful pieces. Like the best learning lessons come from the biggest mistakes and I have made them for sure. I wanna talk about that a little bit. So like you, here you are, business owner, having great success with a lot of the businesses that you've developed, all from your own kind of creative passions and creative pursuits. What are some of the challenges that you ran into? And did it include things like balancing motherhood with the visions that you had? Or were they all kind of business related? And how did you give yourself that permission? Because that's a really tough one for me. Like if you were coaching me, I would need help on making sure like, Done is better than perfect. And I do have to tell myself that sometimes. Like I started off as a writer and even in that writing process, it was like, let me edit one more time. And it was like the 55th time I had sat and edited the, you know, the article or the story or whatever it was that I was writing. And so I knew part of that was maybe some attention to detail, but so much more of it was my fear of letting it go and sharing it. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about some of those things that you faced and how you work through that. Well, you know, when I first started, I was I gave a lot away for free. I did things because, you know, I don't think I knew my worth or my value at that point in my life either. And we do those things. We give things away for free or undervalue ourselves because we don't know. We have this feeling about ourselves because of how we were raised. You know, it goes back to a childhood thing where someone wasn't walking alongside you saying, you're doing a great job. You know, I think about a lot of things like my mom was like, you have to get A's or it's not good enough. And then I look at my business. I'm like, if this isn't done perfect, it's not good enough. And so, you know, I am the furthest from type A. Like if there was a type Z, I am that. And (laughs) I've worked with a lot of women that are type A. They're like, this has to be done this way. There's no other way to do it. Whereas I'm like, what works best for you? Right. And so it took me many years not to be ashamed of that. And, you know, I've had staff come in and out. Like type A people are usually the ones that leave first because they can't work with me. And so, They need it done their way. And I respect that and see that in the same breath, like owning a business isn't that. Nobody's behind the scenes going, gosh, good job, Elizabeth. Like no one's praising you for all the stuff that goes unseen. You staying up in the middle of the night, making sure clients things are right, making sure that you're connecting with these, you know, with writers. And we have so many women that come in through Detroit Mom. And I spent many years feeling like I had to be everything to every single one of them. And it wasn't until my parents passed away and I really started doing a lot of inner work and trying to heal that people pleasing part of me. And that is if I could say like, I didn't have boundaries, like, oh my gosh, no boundaries, no boundaries. And you know, that is people pleasing. No boundaries is like people pleasing acceptance. I felt like I always needed people to like me and to accept me. And it really wasn't until this last year, I was like, if you don't like me, that's okay. And if you want to leave Detroit mom, because you think that I didn't do something for you, that's okay too. But it still hurts. Like it hurts. And then I have to acknowledge it and just be like, all right, now move on, Elizabeth, because there are so many other women out there that want to be a part of this and want 
to have this desire to belong and stuff and hiring a coach. I wish somebody would have told me that when I first started, Elizabeth, if you invest your money anywhere, invest it in somebody who will invest in you and a coach. I have a coach now, but I wish I would have had one years ago. It wouldn't have taken me this long to get here. Do you know what I mean? Sure. No, I get that too. But I think what you're saying is so important because I think what you're highlighting is that the hurt doesn't go away, right? Like when you make a mistake and you feel that sense of disappointment or when something doesn't go the way maybe you had intended it to go, there are still feelings of disappointment. But what you can do is filter that, right? You create some distance between it. You're like, okay, this happened. It does kind of sting. But wait a second. Here's what's ahead. Here's what we can do. Here's where I'm going. If it wasn't a good fit, it wasn't a good fit. There are other opportunities that are there. Let's find those. Let's keep going. Let's keep growing and learning. And I think that's the piece of it that we need, right? Because we can get stuck in the disappointment piece and then that can start a regression, right? Then you start to fall back and you're like, never mind, I'm not going to even bother, you know? And so I think you've really equipped yourself with some really beautiful tools to work through some of those things and persevere. And look, had you not, right? You wouldn't have developed the additional businesses and the other ways of making impacts on people. So it's all there for the taking. It's just like, we have to make sense of it ourselves and we have to really be open to what it is that we're, is trying to be conveyed or taught to us so that we can carry those lessons forward and then hopefully impart some of those same wisdoms on others so that they can get through some of those tricky times too. Yeah, you know, and that's the hard part, Albiona. Like when I learned my human design, I am a profile type that's called a three, five and it's the great life experimenter. And the great life experimenter is here to learn from the good and the bad, and then share with others so that they don't make the same mistakes or they don't go down the same road, or maybe they do it quicker or faster. And if anyone can listen to my story and just be like, okay, I just need to do it. Like, I swear to you, if I listened to every single woman that I had come through Detroit mom that ended up coming in and I couldn't serve them the way that they wanted to, because I'm a human, one human, and then leave, I wouldn't still be here because I would literally crawl into a hole because I will tell you, some women are not nice, especially like it's interesting when you really get to know people, you're like, oh my God, you are not a nice person. And <laughs> you are not a nice person at all. And really realizing where like this mom shaming all this stuff comes from. And I used to feel like I had to be this one way for everybody. Like I had to be perfect and show up perfectly and do things perfectly. And when I actually started being myself, I loved myself more. And other people were like, I actually like this. Like I like this version. I'm like, oh, this is who I am. But it takes a long time to get there. You know what it takes is other people believing in you. Like I can't even imagine not having Detroit mom when my parents passed away because those women showed up for me big. And you know, somebody wrote a post. I just want to share this because I think it's so important for so many women as somebody wrote a post on Detroit mom. It went live last night and it was about not having your tribe. And she wrote it anonymously and I hope she's listening and I wish she wouldn't have wrote it anonymously because I think it's important to share. I think it's important to own the shit out of the fact that you don't have that. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's okay. It doesn't make you less of a person or a human or a mother or anything. And she wrote this post. I don't even know who it is because our editor handles all this. So I don't know who it is. So I'm reading this and this is true for so many women. And one of the biggest reasons I started Detroit Mom is I didn't have that either. I didn't have it. So I created it. And I'm not saying that every single person that comes through Detroit Mom, we are best of friends, right? But I have found my people through my businesses, through networking, through connections, through life experiences 
I have found those people and those people have come into my life at the perfect time and some of them have left and it has been devastating and heartbreaking. And also it made room and space for women that needed to be in my life. And so when I hear things like that, I'm like, please come over to Detroit mom, please. Like there are 60 women. Yeah. You're not going to connect with everyone, but if you put in the time and the effort and you show, you put yourself out there, you will find those people. We have 60 women. They're all different religions, races, colors, backgrounds, everything. You will find somebody. And I think we don't give ourselves that opportunity because we're so afraid of what everybody else is going to think about us. Is she going to like me? Is she going to think I'm a bad mom because I do this? Is she going to think my house is too messy? She is not the right person. Let her move on. That's right. You know, I read that post and it literally broke my heart, but it takes me back to why I started Detroit Mom. I remember a dance mom said to me, my daughter, obviously, most of the moms, when my daughter, my daughter's 22. So they were like easily 15, 20 years older than me. And they'd be like, you don't want to hang out with us old moms. Well, how the heck am I supposed to find moms? People my age are out partying. Like, I didn't feel like I belonged. And then when I did ketamine, that everything came back to that. It was like, you know, because ketamine suppresses your ego and everything that comes through is your subconscious. And it was like this desire and sense of wanting to belong somewhere wanting to feel what it feels like to belong in a group of women or to a person or to with my kids or this just a sense of knowing that I am right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, there's so much value in community. And I think we miss that sometimes. I'm Albanian and we have a huge family and it's my husband and I both. And we have said to each other so many times, like we can easily take for granted how lucky we are because we just have so many wonderful family members in and out of our lives, like all the time. I mean, our houses are like revolving doors. I would love that. And we've always had that sense of community. And when I do meet somebody who doesn't have that, I almost have to like stop myself and go, oh my gosh, like what would that feel like? What would that feel like if you didn't have those places to lean on and those areas to look for for support? Even if it isn't physical support, like just a conversation of like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed today. Like, do you feel like this sometimes? Or my gosh, like I haven't slept in days, like there's got to be a better way or whatever the case is. I just think we police ourselves so much and especially women. And I think that there's just no reason for it. And I just love that Detroit mom has this welcoming space of where that doesn't happen, one. And two, it's like anything goes, right? Like it is a space where you can just really be honest and say what you need to say. And I don't think anyone is there to judge it. It just is validated. Or you have, at least like you said, within that group, somebody's going to go, Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. One Mm -hmm. person. If you can change one person's life, day, week, whatever the case may be, if your words resonate with one person, that's all that matters. And I tell this to writers all the time, likes mean nothing because nobody is sitting there openly admitting that their life is in shambles. Their marriage is falling apart. They can't parent their kids. Nobody is out there doing that. But what they're doing is reading your words and you're changing their life. But doesn't mean because they didn't acknowledge it, that it doesn't matter. And I think that's the thing is the goal behind it is that we share stories and we amplify voices and we give voices to women that wouldn't otherwise have it. You know, women of color, introverted women, you know, I know most people like you can be introvert, extrovert, all this stuff. And even extroverted women struggle with being super seen and all of that stuff. And diversity is such an interesting thing because diversity isn't a black and white thing, but how society perceives it, it's very black and white. You're black, I'm white. You're brown, I'm white. Instead of saying, gosh, we're all so different because you're Albanian and I don't even know, I'm just a white American woman or 
women from the U.S. Like I don't identify with anything other than white. And so like, I always tell this to people, if I can live in like a commune where we all raise our kids together, like I would love it. You know, white culture. I don't even know how you'd put that. Like we're the only ones that don't live in this like sense of community. Whereas if you look at like Albanian, Indian, Muslim, Chinese, like all this stuff, you look at all of these women, they all live in community. They're all supporting and helping each other. Their families are there. Oh my gosh, parents are coming to live with them to help them raise their children. I'm like, wait, what? What is this concept? And so I always feel like I was born, (laughs) I'm not supposed to be this. I should be like Hispanic. Like when I go to Mexico, I just love how kids are running to each other and they're helping each other out. And parents are like looking after your kids. It's not like she's not watching her kid. Because how is it that as a white woman, I'm always so still to this day, if I'm not watching my kid, I feel like people are like, oh my gosh, she's not watching her kid. Her kid's going to get hurt. But other cultures, it's not like that. It's like, oh, Susan's outside. I'm just going to, oh, okay, she's okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, hey, I got you, you got me. Why did we lose that? And it's like, that's why I say, if I could live in a, like a commune with other women and we could raise our kids together, I want all the kids at my house. Parents, come to my house. I want you in my house. I want you to feel what it feels like to feel supported. Ask me for help because I will be there. Like I tell this to my friends all the time. I will be there. You need something, I will be there. My friends take my kids. Like I don't have family. My parents are gone. They didn't really, you know, have family. My sister and I don't talk. You know, a lot goes back to the death of my parents and I don't have that. And I had to create it. I had to create it through the community I created. And I found those women that will take my son while I go out of town or that will show up at my door with coffee or food when my parents pass away. Like we had so much we didn't even know what to do with. I can't imagine what it feels like to be someone that does not have that. And if you are someone that's listening to this, I hope you reach out to us at Detroit Mom because I want you to know what it feels like to have that community where you know, you know, in this post, she said, maybe you'll have to share it, Albiona, so people can read it. Yeah, I will for sure. I'll include it in the show notes. Yeah, that aren't celebrating me also celebrating my wins and also there through the hard times. That's so hard. And it's so true, but it takes so much time. If I could tell you how many years it's taken me to find the women that support me wholeheartedly, does not matter, good, bad, anything. It's taken many, many, many years. But it, when you find it, you know, like it's an inner knowing, like it's a feeling, like, you know, these people show up for you no matter what. And so, you know, it's funny people reach out and like, how do I create community and stuff? And it, takes so much work and so much heartbreak. It's not an overnight thing. The amount of stuff I've had to go through, especially owning a site. I'm a white woman that owns a site called Detroit Mom. Imagine how much crap I get. (laughs) Oh my gosh. If I would have given up when I received an email from six, seven years ago, all of this wouldn't exist. You and I wouldn't be sitting here because I did not let that, did it hurt? Oh, it hurt like hell. It stung. It weighed on me for years. Obviously, I'm still thinking about it. Sure. She sent me this really scathing email because I didn't live in the city and all of these things. And I will tell you, I don't live in the city, but I will advocate. I will support you. I will amplify your voice. I will do all those things for you. Yeah, I don't live in the city, but I will do all of those things for you. I don't care what color your skin is. Yeah, for sure. And I think to your point that you were mentioning about community too, it's that you took something that you didn't have. And instead of just kind of going like staying bitter and resentful, and I mean, because that is what can happen or just becoming depressed or isolated, you really had the wherewithal to say, well, then I'm going to make it. I'm going to create this community. And I think for those of us who are in or around Detroit, 
I feel like even the metro Detroit area sort of has a little bit of that community sense and that we all sort of feel an attachment to Detroit, be it if parents lived there, if grandparents lived there. I mean, my husband's worked down there for the last 25 years. So it's just an interesting, you know, I think we all kind of take pride in Detroit and its stories and it means something different for everybody. But, you know, you did such a great job being able to work through all of those challenges and be able to take that with grace. And what you do is that you really amplify a lot of voices We have people in the city, outside of the city, but that doesn't really matter because it's so many people's stories that sound like ours or sound like somebody else's. And we create those threads of connection. We create those moments where you can feel seen. I know when I started to write, there's like a feeling when you write and get published or when somebody publishes it and it's out there, it's isolating in the sense that I could write all day and I have no idea like who's read it, who hasn't, if it mattered. And so when I do get a note from somebody saying like, This thing that you told me to do completely changed my dynamic with my child. It means so much. Or sometimes they'll start off saying like, I'm so sorry to bother you, but I just wanted to let you know. And I'm like, it is never a bother. Or when somebody stops me and we're out like, oh my gosh, I tried this with my son and it was so helpful. It does mean so much. So it's that same idea of like, we're all seeking connection to some extent. We all want to know. I think like Oprah always says it like, do you matter, right? And there is that feeling of wanting to know that what you can do for somebody else it's really important. And it's important that we tap into that and don't always get caught up in just that conventional line of like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I have to do and keep that real sort of narrow lens on. And I think you end up missing some of the good stuff when that's the case. Like so much good stuff when we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable and open and we don't allow ourselves to be seen. I see so many women come through and I was like, you have so much to offer this world. I wish you could see it for yourself. But then I'm like, Elizabeth, you can't save them all. I say this to myself all the time. It's like, I see, I will message them. I will like, oh my gosh, you're so good at this. You could do this. And because of conditioning, they just can't see past it. And it took me, like I've been doing inner work for a year now, almost a year. And it takes a lot of work and you have to want that, right? Like you have to do that inner work to see yourself before you can allow others to see you. Because if you don't see yourself, you don't take the time to see yourself, you don't take your time to be something other than someone's mother, someone's wife, someone's friend, and just be you, you can't show up for everybody else. You just simply cannot. And you have unrealistic expectations of yourself and other people when you don't fully see yourself. I totally agree. I totally agree with so much of that. So let's kind of highlight, since you always have so much going on, and I think because of the fact that you're an entrepreneur and you're in this creative space, your schedule doesn't look like a schedule of like somebody who is nine to five or Monday through Friday. So how do you balance motherhood? And I personally hate that word. I wrote a whole article about how I reframed that whole idea of balance because I just think it's misleading and it's misguided. And I think that it conjures up a certain image in our minds of like this very zen perfect space with a person who's very grounded and everything's perfectly fine and serene. And the truth is like, you need to figure out how to find balance when you have chaos all around you. So what are some challenges? What are some things that have come up for you, particularly as a mom? And what sort of tools do you put in place? Or don't you like what sort of gets you in terms of balancing those two worlds? That's actually a great question. Because (laughs) I hate the word too, balance, because sometimes my business gets more of me. Sometimes my kids get more of me. And I think it's important to have staff and people in your life that get that. Like she's 
got sick kids or her husband's out of town. So I know that it's going to be really hard this week. So like, I'm going to try to get all this stuff done, but no, she'll be back next week. Like have you people in your life to understand that and filter through the good and the bad? Because I've worked with plenty of people, people that don't understand what it feels like to be human and work through life, you know, having kids. And I have four. And let me tell you, just because they're older does not mean it's easier. Like, Actually, my 22-year-old gives me more of a heart attack. I control what's happening with my younger ones. My older one, I'm not in control of any of it anymore. I have to just hope for the best that I did a good job raising her, right? And attempt to guide her. But who's listening to their mom? Who sits back and is truly listening to their mom at the age of 22? And I've said so many things to her. And she's, I'm like, remember when I told you that like three months ago or last week? So Definitely things I've done is try to create a support system, but I still struggle with asking my friends because I'm like, well, they have kids, they have this, like they have stuff going on. And then when I say something to them, they're like, Elizabeth, you know, we would do it because I know you do it for me. And I'm like, oh, I know. So I've been really trying to work really hard through that and get out of that mindset. My husband works out of town. And so I have to be so gentle with myself. And sometimes it's really, really hard, especially depending on my cycle. If anyone's cycle sinks in here, I'm great in most phases, but luteal gets me every single time. And I could literally, the world could just be crashing around, down around me and all of these things. But really like having a coach, I can balance my life better because she's always like brings me back to reality. I can box her and she's like, Elizabeth, what do you think you're going to be able to do? What do you think's happening right now? And I'm like, well, I should be able to do this, this and this. She's like, no, you're human. So like having that person in your corner saying, you can't do it all. And like really bringing you back to reality. So I think things like that is like having a support system, whether it's a therapist or a coach or whatever you need, like having that piece, but also just recognizing something I've also had to come to realization. Not everything's important. Just because society's like, you have to get them here. They should be doing after curricular events or whatever. There are sports or groups or things like that. What everybody else seems important does not mean that it's important for me or my kids. You're exactly right. And I always say the same thing about balance. I don't like it for the reasons I described earlier. I think it just people envision something that's not a true reality. And then I think the other part of it is I, what I try to coach in parents, particularly moms that I work with, is think of balance as fluid and it changes every day. And what it needs from you each day is going to be very different. So what's so important is if we're really trying to gain, quote unquote, whatever balance looks like for you, there has to be a reflective process. So you have to be willing to sit either at the end of each day or at the end of each week and go like, what worked, what didn't? And to your point, like, what is that important? You know, what could I have said no to that I said yes to? What felt, you know, draining and I just didn't really need to give that my time or energy? What could have been outsourced? You know, there's so many things. And then a lot of times, like we're such doers. And like I was talking actually to a dad not that long ago, and he was saying, you know, a lot of times, as soon as I wake up in the morning, before I even grab my cup of coffee, my kids just want to play with me and play with me. And I'm just right away having to turn on and I'm just not even with it yet. I just always wish I could just have a cup of coffee. And I think he thought I was going to tell him, wake up before your kids and have coffee. And I said to him, why can't you just have them play alone and have coffee by yourself and say that you need that time to have coffee? And he goes, what do you mean? I go like, it's really important for kids to play independently. It's like really healthy for them. It's so good developmentally. There's a lot of good things that come out of it. And when the parent is always playing with the child, it hinders it, right? Doesn't let that happen. I'm not saying to never play with them, but when you're always part of it, you take away these real important developmental pieces that need to happen. So why not structure your morning? So you're like, boys, I got to grab my coffee. 
dad needs a half hour. I'm going to go ahead, do some work. You guys got this. You have your Legos. You have your whatever toy it is that they want to play with and let that be their time. You know, and he was like, I totally thought you were going to tell me, wake up before them, have a coffee. Then when they get up, then play. And I said, you know, some people might say that, but there's nothing wrong with teaching our kids that not every time they need us, that the answer is yes, right? Different needs require different responses. So, you know, back to that idea of, you know, what you were describing in terms of balance and leaning on people for support, you know, also giving ourselves permission to be able to say that my needs are also important right now. And my child will be okay if they have to play for 20 minutes on their own and that we're going to let that happen. And then we're all going to come together and it's going to be a much better day. Could you even imagine if you were taught that? Like I think about this. Imagine if my mom taught me way back when how important it is to take care of yourself, how important it is. I would have not, you know, maybe at the time as a child, I'd be like, oh, you're selfish. But where did I get that idea? Society. That's right. And what if I do this job now? We do this job as mothers right now, putting ourselves first so our kids see it. And then we get to watch them be adults putting themselves first and their kids see it because there is nothing better than knowing that you are your number one priority. And I hear this all the time. People are like, well, my kids come first. No, no, mm -mm. it should be you. Then your husband, because if you aren't good, you can't give to other people. If your marriage is not good, you can't cohesively do stuff. So your kids are gonna be just fine. But we are conditioned by society to give them everything. They're what matters. They should always come first. I don't believe that. And it's not true. And I've raised one into adulthood. And let me tell you, I put her first for everything. And I can notice a difference in myself by now putting myself first. And you know what? When my husband started traveling, I lost myself. And I noticed going back to old habits where I was putting everybody else first. And then just over the last couple of weeks, I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not going back to this person. I'm not going back to the old version of myself that put everybody else first because I know how much better I am when I put myself first, how much happier I am, how much happier my family is, how my marriage thrives, how my businesses thrive, how my staff are. Like everybody yes. benefits when I put myself first. And your kids That's are right. not going to die. Nothing is going to happen by you putting yourself first. Like what you just said, by waking up in the morning, if your kids are old enough and saying, I just need like 15 minutes. If your kids are old enough, go lock the door. Do what you need to do, whether that's meditation, yoga, pull cards, journal, all those things. I wish, you know, I'm really trying to push, not push it, but show my daughter and express it to my 22-year-old because I'm like, I don't want you to be like me. We just talked about finances. So this kind of goes back to that. I'm going to show you the spreadsheet that we just created with my coach. I don't want you to be 20 years from now financially struggling because you didn't know how to do all these things or because you didn't keep track. And it's like when we can put ourselves first and really own that, and that's self-love, right? Putting yourself first is self-love. If you've lost that love for yourself, how in the heck can you love everybody else? How? I totally agree. And I just think it's a messaging thing that we just get it mixed up in our heads. Like you hear, I'm putting myself first, and then immediately people attach the title of selfish or the adjective of selfish with that. But that's not the case, right? That's not what we're saying. Any parent would be there for their child in need in a heartbeat. It's just this idea that you are more than just the keeper of this child and doing every single thing that this child needs. And in fact, it doesn't even benefit them, right? You want to be able to pull back. You want them to be resilient. You need to give them those moments where they can kind of go through a challenge and not necessarily have you jump in and fix it, right? There's like so much that comes out of 
that process. And anytime we can give to ourselves and that we allow ourselves the space to do different things, we show up more whole and think of like, I know for me, at least having a daughter now, it just changes the way that I walk through life. Like, and not for anything, but I want her to know different things and not that I wasn't taught those things, but I want her to see herself in a way that maybe it wouldn't be portrayed through society. I don't want her to adhere to cultural norms, telling her how to look and what to do and what to say and how to accommodate all the time and fall into some of those traps. But I want her to be able kind of to tune in with her own voice, her own gut, her own intuition first, and then proceed, right? So that's something that for me took a very long time to be able to do. It was always like, what can I do? What do you need? You know, there was always this accommodating factor and really feeling like my value lied in that. And so for her, I want her to see now like there is like you first, your voice, your intuition, your instincts, like you're going to know sort of what to do and how to do it. And if something doesn't feel right, you follow that. You say, "Mm, no, like you put your needs first sometimes and that's okay. Something you said that made me think like, do we want to raise our kids, son, daughter, to think that parenting and motherhood is self-sacrificing? Do we want that? No, we don't. We want our kids Mm -hmm. to know that raising children isn't about giving to everybody else and sacrificing yourself. It's about loving yourself and loving everybody else and being able to give to yourself and pour into yourself. I want my kids to grow up knowing that that is first and foremost so important to pour into themselves before they pour into everybody else. And it's not selfish and it's not all these things. And hearing you say that, it's like, that's what we have the ability to give our kids. So if there's moms that are listening and they can take one thing away, it's like, gosh, even if you do a little thing for yourself, take a 10 minute walk, take a bath by yourself, but express your needs to other people. And I think that's where we get lost. We don't express our needs. And then our kids growing up, think about this. If you think about this, when we give to our kids all the time, when they're little, imagine what they expect from us when they're older, how much they're expecting us to give, how much they expect us to watch their grandkids or, you know, I can think of myself. I can purely can think of myself, right? Like you have this whole different picture and it's like, maybe that's like a conditioning thing where it's like, oh, well, that's what motherhood is, right? Giving to everybody else but yourself. You have to be with them every waking moment and you can't vacation by yourself or, oh my gosh, how dare you? You know, like that kind of mentality. But if we can raise our kids to see that it's more, and I'm speaking to myself here. I want people to recognize that. I've lost that. When my husband started traveling, I reverted back to my old ways and I was miserable. And my kids felt it. Everybody else felt it. Sure. It's such a trickle effect, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Elizabeth, I could talk to you all day, all day, but I know we're running out of time. So tell people where they can find you. I know even the retreats, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about that, but my gosh, please share sort of where people can follow along and get more information. I know you have a big audience, but I feel like it's going to get bigger because you have so much goodness inside to share. And I know I just, I love getting to sit front row here and be a part of it. So tell us where we can find you. Okay. So you can find me obviously Detroit mom. So it's at Detroit moms on Instagram. These are like, Instagram's probably the best place at Detroit moms. And then I also co-own Lansing. So at Lansing moms and then Retreat to Reclaim is at Retreat to Reclaim. And we're actually hosting our next retreat, which is in Traverse City. And then we actually just secured our winter retreat. It's going to be epic and the best one yet. We're only taking six women. So we had a small group for all of the other stuff. And then we did a bigger group here in Traverse. And we're going back to really the intimacy of the smaller groups. So there'll be six women there. 
And then my personal is at I am Elizabeth Lewis. And I was just deactivated for a little bit. And now I'm back. It was a horrible experience if anyone's been through it. Oh, at Michigan with kids. So then I love to travel. and My best friend loves to travel, Katie. And we created this so people can really get an idea of how amazing Michigan is because I really think it's so overlooked majority of the time. Like we are so lucky to live and be surrounded by the Great Lakes. Like we truly are. And I think we take that for granted. And so those are my places. Most of them have websites. If they don't, then just find me on Instagram. But I love when people DM me. So lots of lots of things. Lots of good things. And I'm sure more to come. So thank you again, Elizabeth. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening right now. And what really makes my day is if you share or recommend the podcast to a friend. It is the greatest compliment. If you have not already, head on over to theparentingreframe.com where you can subscribe to get my weekly newsletter, Parenting Skimmed. 10 sentences delivered to your inbox every Thursday to help you parent and live a better life. It's for the parent who constantly told me, I just don't have time to read. Make sure to come and say hi to me on Instagram at theparentingreframe. My DMs are always open and I love hearing from you. Until next time, this is Elbiona. Biona.